Welcome to Talent Takeover Unfiltered. When it comes to working hard and keeping it real, we know our shit. Self-care, happiness, inner peace, and time. I'm Brianna Rooney, and this is Taylor Bradley. Hey, y'all. And we have thrived in chaos and turned it into an art form. So, Taylor, what are we doing here today? We're here to give you a raw, under-the-hood view of all things recruiting and finally give credit where credit is due to a long, underrated industry that's full of quote-unquote experts. All right. Well, then let's take this show to the road. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another awesome episode of the Talent Takeover Unfiltered. Taylor, how you doing? I'm doing great. We're having a great recording day, and we are. This is going to be probably my most favorite episode that we've recorded today um, because it's just going to be fucking hilarious. So I'm really excited. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Let's, uh, so this is all about clients. So it's when the red flags look like six flags. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, <we're, laughs> Go ahead. No, I was going to say, which we came up with just like a couple of days ago in just our conversation we were having. I don't even know what the conversation was meant to be about. But as you know, we tangent here. We tangent in our meetings. Same shit. <laughs> um, but we were like, and you're always coming up with, you're so good at this. I, You need to make this a business, but I'm not really sure how to do that yet. But your like sayings, your taglines, uh, like hit it quick. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I feel like this is my dad. This is like, I have a, a literally a note section in my phone that's shit my dad says. And I mean, just, just to give you some perspective, like this one, it still makes me fall out. Our blisters will probably cringe and die at the fact that like my dad said this to me, but when I was pregnant, um, I gained like 80 pounds. I ate for like six. I just, and so he called me big mama and which is obviously what every pregnant woman wants to hear. Right. <laughs> Every woman in general, probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we love that. Like, so nobody ever. But I can't, I'll never forget that I was wearing these pants and I was walking and I'm, you know, I think I was like 39 months pregnant, not 38 weeks. Like I felt like I was, when I was pregnant, I felt like I was pregnant for six years, but I was really, really pregnant, like going to have the baby in three weeks. And I was just walking and he's walking behind me and he was like, God damn. He's like, it looks like two hound dogs fighting underneath a blanket. Talking about oh my, <laughs> oh my god, that is so wrong for so many reasons. It is so wrong, but he just uh, to know my dad is to love him. He didn't give a fuck. He will say whatever. But I was like Where at the time, from? Uh, exactly <laughs> at the time, I was like, you fucking asshole. But it was actually hilarious. Like it's hilarious to think you have to laugh at it. You know the shit that he says, like. We've obviously grown up with him. Like, you can't get offended because my dad is just going to tell you exactly how it is and the truth, even if, yeah. But he has so many funny sayings like that that I was like, oh, my God, looks like two hound dogs fighting underneath a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) I thought my dad was bad. Like, I remember he was like, just make sure you don't get the secretary spread (laughs) when he found out I was a recruiter. Have you heard that one? Well, because I'm sitting the most of the day. So when you sit, you know, your butt next like, like spreads. <laughs> and the secretary's branch is a big ass. You're just gaining weight because you're not moving. I have never fucking heard that in my life, but that is fucking hilarious. That's maybe it's not hilarious, but I don't know. It depends on if really, I think it's funny. I think some of this stuff where people could probably easily be so triggered, you have to laugh like. My dad was saying that about me and my ass, you know, like he wasn't talking about anybody else. And I even thought it was funny. So 
I think sometimes you just have to laugh, but I've never heard the secretary spread. I cannot wait to go tell at least three people about that new thing that I learned today because that's fucking hilarious. I've never heard that before. something new every day. Every single day. (laughs) So back to when the red flags look like six flags. So this, I, I think there's a lot that's inspired this for us, but we had a specific, you know, um, conversation recently that really was like, we need to do an episode on that because we haven't dedicated a full episode to it. We've kind of touched on when you should be kind of like side-eyeing a client, but we haven't really talked about all the different red flags that we have personally seen. Um, so specific with clients. Um, I think a big one, this kind of goes without saying to me, talk in circles with no clear direction or they just seem like they want to talk. So if you're on the phone with a client, um, especially the ones that we work with and and at their level, they're usually just like, yep. time is money, let's get shit done. Yep. But if they're wanting to get on multiple calls with you, they're always just wanting to talk and they're not, the needle isn't moving. They're not doing anything. You're saying stagnant, but they make you feel like in having multiple conversations with you or getting on the phone with you multiple times, like you're making progress towards moving the needle when in reality you're not, it's, it's just bullshit. And it's like, you can't bullshit a bullshitter, you know? And I feel like 100%. you can easily see when somebody is just like bullshitting you if they just want to keep getting on the phone with you but we're not getting any further. The conversation isn't progressing or our partnership isn't progressing. It's like, we're just still strategizing, still talking. You're still like running random scenarios. It's like, okay, you're wasting my time. So anytime I've gone out of a call like that, um, frustrated naturally, they've always started the call with, oh my God, I'm just so busy. I don't have any time. And then now they want to go past our allotted time and then not actually get anything done. Um, my question is why? I, I can't figure out why. Like, are they unsure of their process? Do they just want to kick it? Do they like me? Do they like what is it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like what I would interpret the one that we're talking about specifically is, I think this person just wants to talk, you know, and just wants to. It doesn't even matter to like that because they talk to another person with you know within our organization. They just want to talk. It's like. I don't know. Do you not get enough social interaction? I I have no fucking clue what it is because I feel like there should be, I don't know. There should maybe that's like a whole. I was gonna say maybe that's a hotline, but it's actually a service. It's coaching, like, and these are not guys. These are not just you know anybody. We're talking oh, people at CEOs. all different levels. Yeah. We're talking CEOs that just want to kiki for fucking hours, and you're like, you're those people that are supposed to like talk about all this shit you need to get done, but you're just want to sit here and kiki. And then they want to schedule another call to Kiki about the same thing we already Kiki'd about. And it's like, okay, I'm not, it's not fun to me anymore. You know, like that building, we're not building a relationship. You're just bullshitting me and guising it as if you're actually interested in the business. So I think that's number one. Um, I think, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, a huge sign of, um, you know, when the red flags look like six flags, a chaotic or ever-changing job description. Oh, Yeah. That is one that we've all experienced. Like, I don't know a single recruiter that hasn't experienced that. Like, you either get the job description and it's a fucking mess. And there's, like, one person in the entire world that does that job because it's so niche or specialized. Or they keep changing it constantly. So you start submitting candidates that are aligned with the profile. And then they want to change the fucking job description. And then change it again and change it again. And what was so great about, um, you know, one of the organizations that I worked at that we had built in this was really great for us that every time, and again, this is corporate and it should apply to agency as well. And it would apply to agency as well. But 
every single time you change the job description, that's a whole new search and a whole new charge. Wow, I love that you charged for that. Yeah. Okay. So um, we would tell the client every time that this happened. And, and for us, um, we weren't always used to getting job descriptions. It was just like when we talked to the hiring manager, yeah. we want X, Y, Z, right? So it doesn't matter. Just so you guys know, just it's it's just the search changes, right? Even a small thing. We would tell them even a small change to the job search puts you back two weeks. Yeah. It takes two weeks to build a very healthy pipeline. So everyone we just reached out to is now irrelevant because you changed it so much. And you have to close the loop with all those people. Yeah, I know. And and hiring managers just don't get that. They're like, what do you mean? It's like a small change instead of like now five years. I want seven years. What's Well, I just reached out to a bunch of five year. Like, mm -hmm. do you understand that? Like, I can't just like snap my fingers and here it is. Um, now, of course, people tend to work with agencies because we have a large network, but it's still, it, you're still starting over and it's yeah. a waste of time. I love that you charge for that. It's a great idea. Yeah. So it's a, whether you're in corporate recruiting or agency recruiting, that applies to both. You know, if they're changing the job description on you continuously, it's a huge red flag and you definitely should charge. It's a whole new search. You should charge them for the work that you did. And we would charge them for, it wasn't the full fee again, but it was a fraction of it. So every change. And then you're also thinking you're incentivizing them to stick to their shit, to stop to changing it together. Yeah. Uh, so from my perspective, whenever I get on the phone with a client, um, what is like cringe is when they go, oh, we just started the search. No, 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 no. You guys go fuck up on your own and then come call me in two months when you guys are hitting your heads on the wall. That's when I want to come in because then that's when they're constantly changing their shit. So unless they actually were like, this is what I want. I've like, we've hired before for it. I really won't touch a search unless they've already like made all those mistakes themselves, unless they'll let me set the scene for them. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that. Um, and then I think another one, you know, a nightmare recruiting process with no willingness to change. Like, what are you putting candidates through? What is that recruiting process? What is that experience? And I, I mean, when how we say, is it? yeah, like how long is it? How many steps are there? Do, how, what is the homework assignment like? If Because that's a theme to have one of those, regardless of what type of role you're recruiting yeah. on. I'm amazed at some of the roles now that have homework assignments. And it's like, there's a strategy to even doing that right. You know, you can't give a homework assignment to a candidate that's not invested in your company yet. You're going to completely turn them off. And then also if you give them, you know, a two hour long, and this is, this has been a personal experience of mine that I had happen God, years ago, um, maybe like five or seven years ago at this point, like a really long time ago, six, between five and seven years ago. But um, somebody had reached out to me about a global head of TA job and one of the one of the requirements of that interview process after this is mind you, I talked to three different people, one of which, which being the CEO, um, who might have been a bitch too, since I just said bitch. No, <laughs> but uh, I wasn't going to call you out. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no, who may have been that too. That wasn't actually a um, a, a slip. Um, but then they had so this person's job, their one of their first tasks was going to be to build out their 30, 60, 90 day plan. And so as part of the exercise, their hiring plan, growth plan, as they part of the exercise in the interview, they wanted their top three candidates to all do that. And then they were going to advance like to final interview with the CEO after that, which was another one, another interview with the CEO and then offer from there. And I was just like, no, because it was get, get this shit. It was two hours long worth of work. They gave it to me on a Friday. That weekend was Mother's Day. And they oh, wanted yeah. it by Monday. And I was like, 
you can eat a fucking camel dick. Like, I'm not doing this. It was such, I, and it was, it would have so been a great rude. job. It was so rude, but it said a lot to me about their culture, about their, um, their you know, value. how they'll value work-life balance or don't really. Or it, people. Yeah. And so I'm like, this is such an inter like an interview process. I had wasted so much time in, and then I got to the end of it. And again, I, I was a passive candidate. I didn't need another job. This was again, six or seven years ago before assignments in interviews were like a thing, you know, it was very unheard of, but for it to be two hours long, an actual job responsibility of somebody who's going to get hired in that role, it's free work. It, it is. It was all, it was just a work. And so anyways, I was like, no, fuck this. And I bounced and was like, I withdrew my candidacy. But I think, again, if we have any business owners or hiring managers that are listeners, just be really thinking about these things because it just, it doesn't matter what the job market is like to me. I wouldn't, that said so much to me that it doesn't matter if I wasn't employed at the time. You didn't care that it was Mother's Day. You didn't care that it was two hours long. You didn't care that it was free work. Like it wasn't even a, a made up assignment. It was an actual real, I was like, I'm not doing this shit. So there's an art to doing all of that. Yeah. Out of curiosity, um, did a man get that job? Do you remember? Um, I don't know if a man got it. There was two women, myself being one of them, and a man that were the final three. I don't know. Because it, the, to full honesty, um, the recruiter, once I withdrew my candidacy, um, she called me. So I, I sent it via email. She called me. And then we had a, a conversation. And she was salty about it. You know, instead of like taking my feedback, yeah. which I said everything, you know, that I've said on here, taking my feedback and really what that says. And it's like, don't forget, I do this shit for a living. Like I'm in recruiting. So, yeah, I'm not it, it's you're in your best interest to see somebody that's going to poke out holes, poke holes in your process of like this isn't going to work, especially when you're thinking this is going to be a global head of TA role, you know, and they're going to need to like define interview processes of what works on a global level. Like you you can't have that kind of shit happening. Um, but anyway, so I don't know who actually ended up getting it because she was so salty about, you know, me withdrawing my candidacy. It was like, you're dead to me type thing. Oh, and I hate recruiters like that. Those I, are the ones that give us bad names. They do. Um, they do. And you know what? Actually, if I were the CEO of that company, I would be more interested to talk to you because yeah. I was like, okay, we have a very powerful person now saying no to us for this giant global position. Like, I want to know why. Like, I yeah. want to know how I could do better. But obviously, that just wasn't the company. So, no. And he was, uh, he like was arrogant and very, like, his time was more important than anybody's. And, you know, it was, it was, it worked out for everybody how it was supposed to, because that would have been a company that I wouldn't have been happy to work at, you know? And that was yeah. like, yeah, that was, that was years ago. And they still didn't. I'm sure they're probably still doing the same thing. And that CEO is acting the same way. But I bet, I bet that um those other two candidates if they even did that that all of that work they're probably not still with that company anymore based on how that ceo acted in those other yeah. interviews. it's like his time yeah or who knows um what i'm thinking now is we have to really touch on not in this episode because it's really a beast of a, of a thing is how we can teach or coach either first-time founders or or hiring managers how to work with recruiters yeah, because it really is a skill and an art like we could do great things for you mm -hmm. if you know how to interact and treat us. Yeah, it gets its own separate thing. But it starts with them needing to value the recruiting function as a 100%. whole. And if 100%. they don't and they're just like, OK, this is a box I have to check because we need to hire people. I mean, again, that's another red flag to look for people like if they're just and it's actually on our list of like, you know, poor 
communication or constant meeting rescheduling or disorganization. You know, all these things are like, you know, you going back to Mimi's episode, you teach people how to treat you, you know, and just because somebody's a client doesn't mean they say jump and you say how high, you know, if they're not partnering with you, then you'll have an unsuccessful search anyway, you know? So I know it's, we talk a lot about like red flags and it's really hard to walk away from business. We get that. Like, it's really hard to walk away from business. But if you see all these red flags, do you really think that's going to convert to a hire anyway and convert to revenue for you anyway, if all these obstacles are in front of you? And so it is okay to walk away from bad business sometimes or walk away from hiring managers who give you these red flags. Yeah. So, I mean, even as an internal, like as you all are yeah. interviewing right now, I know tons of people are changing jobs. Uh -huh. You have to really interview the company as much as they're interviewing them, which in return, by the way, gives you a lot of respect and clout. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, I think this is one that everybody, this kind of goes back to like the glass door days, people looking into this stuff. But I'll, although I would, I would disclaimer, like don't place too much emphasis on glass door because um, having been somebody that was responsible for going in for certain clients and responding on behalf of the CEO to some of the glass door shit historically, it's, it is a lot of disgruntled employees. So, but that was what it was back then. That's all, there was just glass door to find that type of information. There is so much information out there now on a company's reputation. What is their turnover like? Do they have high turnover? Are they constantly filling the same role? So I think you know, used to, there used to be a very, very low sample of data points for people to reference on what it was like to work at a company. Now in the days of social media, again, all the different resources, like you can find out exactly what it's like to work for a company. And if they're constantly filling the same role or there's constant turnover, then it's a huge red flag. So as you're talking to them and you, you know, are asking the questions to really dive deep and how long has this role been open? Um, you know, understanding why the person that was in the previous in that role previously left. Like those are all really great questions to ask that also, you know, are going to help you in your search, but are also things that I, I know as a candidate, I'm going to go look at when if I'm interested in a job, I'm going to go look at that. I'm going to go look and see who was in the role before, who was in the role before that. How long do people typically stay at this company? And you can find that information even just right on LinkedIn. I was, yeah, I was going to say it's right on LinkedIn. They have the analytics on their company page on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. There's so much stuff you can see. You can see even in which function that they've hired the most hired. The totally. Most. It shows all the top new hires. And then as a recruiter, too, because candidates, like you said, candidates are going to go look for this themselves. But they're also going to ask you, like, if it's a, if they're replacing someone, like, it's not a new position. They're going to be like, well, what happened to that person? Yeah. And you would then have to ask the company, what can I say? Because that's also, you know, again, keeping with integrity, you have to ask the company too. like they're still your client, you know. So if you accept that you're going to be working with them, again, either internal or external, you have to know those things because you have to be the messenger. Yeah. And I think it's really important for companies to have their shit together, too, because because LinkedIn makes networking with people so easy that they have access to those employees. Even, you know, I know we've used it you've reached out to vet certain potential clients of ours and stuff. I mean, it really like it's, it really serves so many purposes. So it's really, really important that even if you have people departing your organization for whatever reason, that there's a, a good reputation there, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how great a recruiter is. If your brand is trash and nobody wants to work there or there's very high turnover, then it's not a recruiter problem. It's not a recruiting problem. That's an organization problem because of all of the resources and knowledge that are at a candidate's fingertips. 
And because now, you know, even though we're seeing a different market right now, I still feel that companies are having to sell the candidates on the organization just like just as much as they have always have these last few years. 100%. That's it's not, not going easier. away. It's not any easier to hire right now. Everyone thinks because so many people are available. No. And again, probably another episode, but we still have hiring managers saying, even with all these amazing people available, that they want passive candidates, mm-hmm. which again, this is something we can help people with, but frustrating. Yeah. And then salary, salary expectations. That's one that's like, I think it is definitely a recruiter's job, um, you know, and only sets us up for success to push back if the salary expectations for, you know, a, a certain role at a certain level or a certain geographic location are just completely unrealistic. I know in my intakes, I would always set the scene right there on the front end because it's it's our job, you know, in the roles that I used to work on, it was you're working on the same type of roles or in the same vertical or industries. It's kind of your job. And I would also do a, a, you know, benchmarking, salary benchmarking prior to going into those intake calls to get a general idea of what just the position title, even if I don't know much about it, like what would a position title in this location, like with this level of years experience commands as far as salary. And so I think that that's, that obviously is all the red flags that go off from a candidate perspective, from a recruiting perspective, if the salary expectations for the role and requirements are just completely unrealistic and it's not for, um, you know, a lack of knowledge on their part, like they truly, they know that it's low and they want to stick to it being low. And they say that bullshit that they used to all say about, well, then they, if they come in at the top of the salary band, they have nowhere to grow. And it's like, then you need to expand your fucking salary band, you know, like times are changing. You can't have these set salary bands from 1978 and think, it applies to the world today. Yeah, I used to have to when when I was talking to clients about this because like it was just so unreasonable. I literally have to say, what if I find a candidate that walks on water? Like it would be one of those walks on water. Who like I used to hate that term, but in order to pull shit out of them, it's like you had to like understand like someone that matches this exactly, which is already a wish list in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It, that would be walking on water. So what would you pay them? Yeah. Oh, okay. You still can't pay them that we're, we're, we're not having this conversation. And yeah. so again, internal, external, you have to already know, are the salary bands realistic? Like we were saying, and you can, and you don't have to have some fancy data, you know, service. You could literally just go on LinkedIn in the market you're in. You could, you could just gauge all the different job descriptions. They're so much more transparent with salaries right now that you should know. Not mm-hmm. to mention you should just know anyways, but if people are just starting out, it's hard to be like, I don't know, you know, like I'm supposed to know and I'm, where do I get this data? It's pretty simple. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of like corporations have um, a team or somebody that's typically within HR that that's their area of oversight that will be the salary benchmarking and to come up with different ranges for different levels, different departments, all of that stuff. Um, and so I know sometimes there isn't a lot of flexibility there. But that's where the conversation then shifts to, okay, if this is all you can pay somebody, then you need to adjust your requirements for the position accordingly. You know what I mean? And so I think, again, it goes back to like, we're, you're setting them up for a failed search. You're setting yourself up for a failed search. So I always loved in my intake meetings, if they were below that very first call, I know people are probably like the first call you said that. I would set the expectation, okay, well, that salary seems a little low for this position or this level in this market. I'm going to try to see what I can find you, but don't be surprised if I come back to you and say it's not doable with these requirements at this salary level. I used to always just try to like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try, but I already want to set the scene 
that this may be a challenge to meet and we may have to flex on requirements. So I love that you said that. And I don't think that it's odd that it's in the first call. It has to be in the first call because otherwise you're going to be the one like what not capable of finding who they want. No, it's like you have to tell them the challenges even when they want someone super niche and or they, God forbid, say the purple squirrel, which kills me. Um, that's like, well, let me pull up on LinkedIn right now. How many people per your job description, per our conversation, which I'll, I, I typically do this a little bit before because I have the job description, but this is how many people on LinkedIn even do this exact thing. I think so. People question it like being in the first one because it's a confidence thing. I think you have to get to a certain, but to exactly your point of what you said is that like, if you don't call that out, and which is why I always did is it sets you up for failure. So if you're saying that they have unrealistic expectations on the front end, you're positioning yourself and obviously do it tactfully, but you're positioning yourself as the subject matter expert and you're letting you're not, it's not at the point that you're quote unquote failing that you're coming to them with this, which is then going to be interpreted as an excuse. You're setting the scene of like, I'm confident in my abilities and my subject matter expertise. I know what the market commands. I'm putting this out there and people have a lot of respect for it. So I think it's um, when people ask, should that really be in the first call? Because it may make them seem like yeah. I'm incompetent or I can't get the job done. It's like, because you don't want them to think you're incompetent and can't get the job done is why it has to be in the first call. A hundred percent. You just made yourself transactional to strategic. Yep. And in that one, in that one, you know, poof sentence. Yep. And um, I love that. That's that could be our well, um, I'll go into that later. But from transactional to strategic is and it's like really have to look at the bigger picture of like, how is this going to serve me if I don't have this conversation now? Like what's going to happen here? Um, and then going on to, you know, I think an obvious one is if you're getting lack of clarity or consistency and answers to your questions like depending on who you talk to, we've had this, we've all, I feel like every recruiter's probably had this happen before where maybe the CEO wants one thing, the hiring manager wants something else. Like there's inconsistency in what they're wanting, yet all of these individuals have buy-in and are involved in the interview process. It's like, these are red flags to call out to yourself. Like, okay, if all of these people want different things and they're not bought in, how are we ever going to get to that? Yes. At the end with like, yes, we want to offer this person. We want to hire this person. With every one of them, too, telling you to oh, disregard what so-and-so said. I want this, you know? And it's like, but if all of you are coming together to make the decision, I'm you're going to be dealing with, you know, people that are like, at my experience, what's happened, they've just been like, okay, well, let's just try to find something else. Let's just try to find this. Like, it's almost like they'd want to go, CEO could love this candidate. The hiring manager could love this other candidate. But if they can't agree on it then it's like well they feel like they just need to start on fire no a completely unique candidate i mean it's a fucking mess yeah that will set you so, up for so in my first conversation i actually ask is this a unanimous decision majority rules or are you the decision maker and i do that because i want to know how much of an uphill battle is this yeah if it had if everybody has to agree holy shit <laughs> yeah then i then i'm gonna ask a lot more questions i'm gonna ask you know how many people get through um, I'm going to ask, you know, for this same role, how many people have been on site and then get an offer? Because mm -hmm. if it's if it's any less than 50 percent, I don't want anything to do with that. That mm -hmm. means their process is messed up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, big one. Your values can conflict with theirs. I think. OK, well, think about this. What we just the post that somebody just put in our Slack channel yesterday of a god awful job posting. 
I like, couldn't believe it. I literally looked at the year to be like, is this today? I know, right? I, and I had to comment on it because I was just like, this is good. This is good shit. Like, if I can if I can move this post for her as well, like, let's move this post. It, it, it's getting some results right now. It's insane. It was, it was, it was one of the worst I've ever seen put out there. Like, it's really bad. It's really bad for all of our listeners. I bet you some of them have even, who are in the TA world, it's probably circulating right now on LinkedIn too. But I think that's a prime example of where, like from a recruiter perspective, if you saw that role and just um, some, well, our listeners don't even know what we're talking about. So we should give them a little indication, like just very inappropriate discriminatory things in a job description that somebody, I think from what it said, wasn't supposed to make public, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that it was made public and it says, you know, not to be shared with candidate, but it's just gross, disgusting things that it's like, that's an indication of what their values are and what it's like to work there. So there's stuff like that where I feel like in the interview process, in um, the application process, and then even on just the calls, that the intake calls with hiring managers that we'll have to vet them as clients, it's like, if they're saying things that conflict with our values as far as how they even treat candidates or, um, you know, discriminatory things or very being very specific in a discriminatory way about the type of candidate or what what candidate they're looking for, that's like one of the biggest red flags, you know, ever. Yeah, I got a call from a woman and they said, hey, can you we need your help getting an engineering manager? Cool. OK. Um, and this person needs to be a woman. I was like, why? And she was like really stunned by my question. I'm like, I like, can't be the first one to ask you this, right? Yeah. Um, obviously I was. Um, and she was like, oh, uh, well, that's because um, the CEO said that our entire engineering team is men. And so we need a woman manager. I was like, oh, oh, okay. You want a token to come in and somehow what do what? So I said, what's your inclusion plan for this one woman on this team? And are, do the men know that some woman is going to come in and now rule the show for them? Like, mm. I, and I, I didn't touch that shit. I literally said, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I can't do this. And so you guys want to talk more about a DEI program. Like, I'm not interested. Yeah. Uh, never heard back. <laughs> and I'd be interested. Yeah, I'd be interested <laughs> to see how they're, they're thriving or higher up today. I, I actually am even going to see if they're in business, to be honest. It was like three years ago. I, I'm going to look that up. And then our last one that I have on the list. So going into that, and you'll have to let us know what you find out when you circle back on that, because I'd love to know, like, did a woman end up in the role? Like, give us the tea. Um, but being resistant to change. I think that is one that it's a massive one. And there's so many signs of that as you're having a conversation with a potential client. If they're resistant to change, um, if they're, whether it's their process, whether it's their job description, whether it's what they're looking for, like, if. And that happens a lot, you know, if you're working with startups that, uh, you know, you're working with a CEO, you can, you can sometimes be dealing with some egos and people that really think that they know everything. And um, my favorite CEOs, and we're, we're fortunate enough to work with some really amazing ones that are like, here's what I do really well. And it's not this. And you guys do this really well. So you just tell me what it needs to be. And then, you know, they'll, they'll help reinforce that. Cause we all know for any change to happen in an organization, it has to happen from the top down. And so I think, you know, being resistant to change or not really placing a huge value or emphasis on the recruiting process, you'll pick up these things in your very first call. And it's, they're huge red flags and they're things that just like are kind of deal breakers to me. And I think when you get to a certain point in your career, you'll be 
they should be deal breakers for everybody. But when you get in a certain point in your career, you could be confident enough to know that these are deal breakers and they have to be deal breakers for many yeah. reasons. More more choosy. Yeah. Um, I think I will talk about Mimi. So Mimi was a guest. If you guys haven't listened to that episode, definitely check that out. It's how to stay classy. But she was great because she was like, it's money tomorrow, not money yeah. today. It's money tomorrow. And that to me is how you have the confidence to have these conversations because we are not customer service. You need to smack that customer service out of you. Of course, we're polite and kind and all of those great things, but we have a job to do and we're strategic and we're strategically going to do that job and tell how we feel because if we don't, it's only screwing us at the end. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Completely agree. And it's a respect thing too, you know? Like I think if you um, are tactfully transparent and push back respectfully and it's not received well, you don't want to work with that client anyway because that's just, you'll be pushing a rock uphill the entire time. They won't respect you. They won't respect what you do. They won't respect your time. There's just so many factors that play into that. Um, but hit it with the boss tip. I'm going to go ahead and go right into that. Yep. Oh, I love that. Like a little little creed action there. <laughs> well, Michael B. Jordan. Boom. By the way, love that. Love that. Love love all three of those. Yeah, I haven't seen the third, but oh, it's good. I'm dying to see it. That'll be like once we get out of this like baseball all night every day life that we're in, we'll actually be able to watch a movie. But going to back to the tangenting, I know for usual, but the broke to boss tip. Um, and some people may disagree with this, and that's okay. But in our opinion based on how we approach business, sometimes bad business is worse than no business. And that's my broke to boss tip. Sometimes bad business is worse than having no business. And what I mean by that is exactly everything that we've said here. If you're not going to get to that hire and get to that close because of all of these obstacles, you're not going to get that money anyway. And you're going to have a lot of wasted time, effort, work, resources, you name it. Frustration, what that will do to you mentally and so in those scenarios that's what i mean by sometimes bad business is worse than no business love it love all right. it all right well guys this was super fun um please share this out um, as you find value share it with all of your friends because it's just giving us love giving us more motivation to see you every tuesday Yes, thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate the subscribes, likes, comments, messages you guys send us. Can we read everyone? We love it. So thanks, y'all. Bye. You know you want to check out the program. Ready? Ready?